and welcome back to Basic Bible 101. This is the second broadcast of this lesson series. My name is Margie Smith and I will be presenting this section entitled In the Beginning. If you will recall, last week we covered the introduction to Basic Bible 101. We discussed what you can expect from this class, how to get a hold of the materials that you will need for it, and where the Bible came from. I would encourage you that if you have not listened to Lesson 1 first, please do so before continuing on with this one. Today we are covering Lesson 2, which is in the beginning, and we will start with Genesis 1. Because you should have had some time to read this on your own and answer the homework questions, I will not go over the homework questions today, but I want to encourage you to get together with your discussion group and cover those questions as a group. If, on the other hand, you are working through this individually and you would like to know what the answer should have been, if you will go to our website, www.basicbible101.com, noticed some of the questions are personal questions for you to consider on your own for personal application so your answers will be different from mine alright so today last week we talked a little bit about how the Bible came into being and that and how it's divided up into the New and Old Testament primarily this course series is covering the Old Testament which of course begins with Genesis let's talk first about what happened in the very beginning of Genesis. In fact, let's go ahead and start at the beginning where it says, in the beginning God. Alright, let's talk about that. What existed before God did? If you've had a chance to kind of ponder that, you've probably thought, well, I, I, there's nothing in the Bible that says what existed before God, and that's exactly right. We really don't know what preceded God. But we know that it wasn't the earth because he created the earth. And we know that it wasn't the universe because he also created the universe. So whatever existed before God, we don't know. I don't know that we'll ever know that. Let's continue. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Okay, let's look at that. So, what was the earth before day one? We see that it was primarily just a vapor of a mist of some type. So, what is this light that exists before God speaks light into existence. And I believe that that is God himself, that there is an, an, uh, an energy source that emits from God, which is a form of light, which we will see frequently in Scripture throughout when it refers to God as light. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. So there is a uh, part of who God is, which is light. Now we know that as soon as God spoke, there was light. What this light exactly is, we don't know. Because it doesn't appear that he made the sun or the moon or the stars until he gets down to about verse 14. So we have to consider here whether the light he's referring to is a general light of the universe or if it was the sun. 
All right, let's look on uh, further on in verse 6. And God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate waters from waters. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Okay, we're in day two and we find that what is the earth? Well, it's just water. It's just vapor. There really doesn't seem to be anything else. And when he says, I'm going to separate the the waters in from the sky from the waters in the earth we have to kind of understand that all matter originated in a form of water scientists would agree with that most almost all elements are made or natural elements are made up of carbon which is a um, you will find just throughout nature and water is a primary element in our air in our in our earth, in our bodies, everywhere. So it doesn't seem too far-fetched to believe that everything was water before God separated it. So there was a sky water and an earth water. Now there's a theory built around the idea that the sky sort of was like a huge canopy that kind of held back this expanse of water up there. Today we might think well that's kind of how clouds are but we get the impression that this water canopy actually was a protection against the harmful sun rays, which may be why people in the Old Testament, the beginning of the Old Testament, lived so long. Now we don't know this for a fact because the Bible doesn't go into that much description or explanation. But we knew the, do know that at the time of the flood, which doesn't occur until later on in Genesis, that expanse seems to break and floods the earth. And so whatever was in that canopy has now flooded the earth totally and that canopy is gone okay now we have earth which is created in the next few verses it uh, verse number nine reads and God said let the waters under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear and it was so God called the dry ground land and gathered and the gathered waters he called seas and God saw that it was good then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. Land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. Alright, so we see that the land becomes fruitful with vegetation. Why do you think God wanted the plants to be seed-bearing? I would propose to you that it was his design that the earth replenish itself to, to continue the cycle of life and we see that cycle of life in everything. Notice the reference to plants bearing seed after their own kind. That tends to kind of discount some of the thoughts that we hear from evolution that different types of uh, plants or animals evolved or maybe came together in strange ways that produced different varieties. It seems rather unnatural that that would have happened that way and since we haven't been able to reproduce evolution I have a hard time believing that everything came from one particular tiny little seed. Since it certainly appears here that God made many different, different kinds of plants and that they were able to continue to reproduce themselves. 
So that is just my opinion, but it seems to be stated in this very first chapter of Genesis that all of the earth replenished itself after its own kind. Okay, let's continue on with verse 14. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate day from night, and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. All right, since it's just now that we're discovering that God created the moon and the stars and the sun, then we do have to look back at chapter or verse 1 and say, okay, what was the first light that appeared? And it does seem to be an emitting light that came from God, from his word because now we have actual celestial bodies. Sun, moon, stars, probably planets in the universe. And we see this because God is very purposeful about what he creates. It's very organized and everything has a place and continues in its orbit in its place, creating seasons and and days, months, years, as we know from our own experience with time. So it's at this time that we really do begin to see time. People have said, well, okay, did God really create the earth in seven days? And it would be at this point that I would propose to you that it's very possible that the first three days of creating the world took longer than a 24-hour period because time really didn't exist before then. And so I don't find it too unusual that the earth took millions of years to come into existence. I do, after the fourth day, believe that everything pretty much happened rather rapidly after that because he definitely determines that there is a 24-hour day. Okay, if you will look in some of the different uh, Bible timelines, you will find that starting with the fourth day, that would be what we would consider about 4000 BC. Usually geologists claim that the earth is millions of years old. So you really have a choice. You can either believe that God, that the days as God describes them were more than 24 hours or that geologists are just wrong. Um, I think that's something for you to decide and pray over and really make a determination about. Personally, I believe that it's very possible, as I mentioned, that the first three days could have been longer than 24 hours. After that time, I, I find it kind of tough because God very specifically says that it was a 24-hour day or that there was, as the sun rotated around the earth, that was one day. All right, the exact temperature, the right amount of rain. All, in fact, at this time, there really wasn't rain. There was just a moisture because we don't really see rain coming about until after the flood. But up until this time, the earth just sends, water tends to bubble up and sprout up in different places. And that is how you see moisture. It's really kind of like a terrarium. If you will think, those of you that had have been involved with uh, greenhouses or watching plants from grow from seedlings, you notice how important it is to have the right amount of moisture and fertilizer and light. All these different things come together to help a plant grow. And we are seeing an earth where everything is perfectly under control. It's just far enough away from the sun that everything doesn't burn up. 
but it's close enough that it can experience the warmth of the sun. And that's what makes the Earth so different than the other planets. They're either too far away from the sun or they're far too close to, for any human to be able to inhabit it. So it certainly seems to me that God had a very specific purpose in creating this environment. And of course he does, because we will see very soon that he decides to start producing life as living creatures. Chapter 1, verse 20, let's look at that. And God said, Let the waters teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth, above the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living and moving thing with which the water teems, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, and said, Be fruitful, and increase in number, and fill the earth, fill the water in the skies, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And so at this point we see all of the living creatures, fish, birds, uh, come into being. Okay, I don't think that it took millions of years for things, those things to come into being. I really do think that God said it, and in a day that was so. All right, then verse 24 says, And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the living, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Okay, over and over we're hearing that according to their kinds. Once again, I think that this refutes a lot of the claims of evolution because we see God saying according to their kinds so frequently. So obviously fish produced fish, birds produced birds, cows produced cows. Um, how much variation there were between the different types of cows. I mean even it, people are different in many ways. So I think there can be some differences among the species and maybe some similarities. But in general I, God really intended for each thing to produce its own kind and as a result I really doubt that there would have been a fish that turned into a bird that turned into a mammal and even scientists will agree that that is very far-fetched. Okay let's now finish out this passage with verse 26 then God said let us make man in our image in our likeness and let them rule over this fish of the sea and the birds of the air over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Okay, so the very first question you might have in regarding to how he created man is, who is the us? that God refers to when he says, let us make man. There have been a lot of uh, discussions over the years as to whether 
there's more than one God. Plenty of people uh, take a, a mon, uh, multi-theistic uh, approach that says, well, there may have been many gods. I don't think that's the case. I think that we know that God is not alone in the heavens, but that there are definitely other heavenly beings with him, the angels, uh, servants, the uh, whatever it is that he has created before he created people. It is also possible that God is referring to us as the Trinity, and I've heard this explained too, that when he said, let us make man in our own image, he was talking to Jesus or to the Holy Spirit. Now, since it's beyond the scope of this class to get into the details of the Holy Spirit and Jesus and God as, Trini as the Trinity, just keep that in mind, and then some day down the line when you're actually studying that, you may think back to this passage and say, it, does it make logical sense? Does it seem that God would have been one with Jesus and the Holy Spirit at this time in the creation? And as you get to the New Testament, you will see that Jesus refers to himself as predating the earth, and so that is very possible. Okay, look at what God gives man to eat. He says, every green plant. He doesn't say, okay, now you can all fix yourself a nice steak here. Nor does he say anything about fishing. He simply says, every green plant will be yours for food, to both the animals and to man. And so it certainly seems at the beginning that we were meant to be vegetarians. And those of you who are vegetarians are probably saying, see, I knew it all along. Now, that changes later on when we find that man sins and God actually then requires the sacrifice of blood and the killing of animals for that. But at this point, at the beginning, he really was intending for man to live at peace with the animals and with all of nature. Okay, let's go on now to chapter 2 and the very first few verses. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. All right, so do you think God needs to rest? Do you think God gets tired? Well, the truth is I don't think that God really needs to rest, because he is God and all-powerful. But he did take time out to enjoy his creation. And I think he sets a very strong precedence here for mankind. There is something within us that has to have a break. We have to sleep at night. We have to take one day out of the week to rest. And he is setting this precedence so that mankind will understand that that's a law that continues from the beginning of time throughout all of time. And we will see as he creates the Ten Commandments, he says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. We see Jesus reinforce the idea in the New Testament of a Sabbath, taking a day off and resting, that it was created for us to rest and enjoy all that God has given us. The thing is, if you don't ever, ta ever take a day and relax, then you can't really appreciate all that God has done for you. You can't reflect on the beauty around you or see the blessings that exist in your life. You can't enjoy your family or your health or nature. And so God is really saying we need a day off. And so I hope that you will see this week you will take the time to take a day of rest. And so what does it mean to take a day of rest? Is that the day that we sit around and do nothing and just kind of um, 
not answer the phone and not uh, do nothing really but lay around and take naps. Well, that may be what it means to you, but I would suggest that a Sabbath can be anything that is a day that is restful to you. And for some people, that's going to the lake. For other people, that is spending time with your family. We do tend to, as a nation, spend a lot of time on Sundays in church, in church worship worship services, in some sort of ministry. But I would caution you that if that's the case, if you are spending a lot of time in church and in church work on Sunday, then you need to find another day that's a Sabbath day because it really does need to be a day of reflecting and worshiping and uh, just absorbing all that God, all the energy that God has for us. It probably is not a day that you want to spend cleaning the house and doing laundry and reviewing work reports and uh, running to and fro here and there. It really does need to be a, a rest day. And so I want to encourage you to find a day during the week. And most people say, well, that's just impossible. We just don't have any day that's free. So I guess then I would say, can you start with half a day and work up? And really, most people can find a day. You know, you have to when you're sick, when you have some emergency that happens in your family, everything ceases. So my suggestion to you is to find that time and stop. Stop long enough to listen. Listen to what God's doing and to enjoy his handiwork. Okay, those of you that did the lesson for today, I want to turn back and, and draw your attention to the lesson notes where it there are various scriptures that talk about God's handiwork and how God shows himself in his handiwork. If you want to look on with me with, at some of these verses, I'm going to read them now. The first is Romans 1.20. It says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. So what Paul is saying when he wrote Romans is that God is, a ve is obvious everywhere in all of nature. And for those of you who have spent any amount of time in nature, you know that's true. My husband and I are scuba divers. We love getting in the water and going down about 60 or 80 or 100 feet and seeing the creatures that God has created down there. And it is just an amazing experience for us. The, the ocean is so vast and there is so much and so much variety and so much creativity in all of it. I really believe that we serve the most creative God that, that there could ever be. His um, way of developing all of nature to coexist so perfectly is amazing to me. And it's just hard for me to imagine that anyone could see nature and really look at it and appreciate it without appreciating the Creator who brought it about. Jeremiah 32:17 says, Ah, Sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And isn't that true? He really, since he could put even the earth in orbit, everything is under God's control. Psalms 51 says, The Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. Psalms 24, 1, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Which, of course, we just studied about how everything was created from water to begin with. 
Psalms 19, 1 through 3 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Isn't that so? All of nature speaks out and says there is a God and He so loves and cares for us. Psalms 8, 3 through 9 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the fields and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Those are some thoughts that I will leave you with as you're considering what is it that God has done to show himself to you in nature. And if you haven't had enough time in nature to really appreciate that, then I would challenge you to take some time this week, even if it's just a matter of going to the park or sitting by a stream or the lake or finding a quiet place where you can stare up at the stars in the evening. Because I really think that God will speak to you through all of nature if you will let him. Alright, next week we are going to talk about the creation of man and what that really meant. What was man to God and what, what were we intended to be? Because at this point it certainly seems that he created us to rule over the earth, to kind of be in charge of all that he created, and to be fruitful and multiply. And so next week we will talk about what was it that man did that messed things up so badly. If you've not had a chance to get the student workbook, please take a moment and go to the website and do so, order that. And if you have been doing the homework and you want to check your answers and you're not doing it as part of a group, you can go to the website and check that there. But I would encourage you, if at all possible, to do this series of uh, coursework in a group because you will find that having the chance to discuss it with other people really gives you a different perspective on things. So I want to really encourage you to do that. Plus, as a group, you it would be wonderful if you'd be willing to take some time to pray together. And not everybody feels comfortable with praying out loud, and that's totally fine. So discussion leaders out there, if you will lead prayer time, or if you will simply say, does anybody want to pray for us? That would be great. Please don't ask anybody to pray specifically because that's a scary thing if you've never prayed out loud before. Okay, thank you so much for sticking with this course. I want to encourage you to do to read the passages of Scripture and the homework for next week. And I will be back with Basic Bible 101.